Hey, Chung here from the shoot as well, um, or you know me as T. Today, today's guest is Coach Liz Mills. Uh, she's, she's predominantly a coach in African basketball, um, but instead of hearing from me, let's go straight to the horse's mouth. Um, I'm not calling you a horse, but that's the same. <laughs> coach Mills, um, just give the viewers um, an understanding of um, where you've coached uh, and I guess your involvement in basketball up to today. So I started playing basketball when I was 15 and then started coaching when I was 16. I coached and played at Northern Suburbs Basketball Association in North Sydney, Australia. And I coached juniors and youth league women, which is under 21. So I coached, junior, uh, I coached at North for about five to six years. And then in 2011, I started coaching men's club teams and national teams in Africa. Between the periods of 2011 and 2020, I've worked with men's clubs teams in Zambia, uh, Namibia, Kenya, South, uh, South Africa, and Rwanda. And I've worked with the senior men's national team for Cameroon for the World Cup qualifiers. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, just shout out to Lloyd. Um, he couldn't join us today, but uh, he, he pretty much did all the research on yourself. So thank you. Let's get through your, your, your career or like, like just your career. Yeah. Uh, first thing we have uh, asked is, um, Lloyd was getting into your career and, oh yeah, you just mentioned it. There was a change from netball mm -hmm. to basketball. So we see that. Um, was there an, an initial, I guess, uh, change, uh, being able to move freely on the court, adding dribble uh, and shooting mm -hmm. in your game rather than netball where you just got to pass and stop? Oh, exactly. I think, um, well, I played goal attack. So for me, it was changing my shooting form and that freedom of actually being able to move around a lot more with being able to dribble, etc. So um, I think really basketball offered a freedom that netball doesn't have and you don't have to specialize in um, either defense or shooting or being a mid-court player in terms of being a center or wing attack etc so i think that freedom um and also the technical aspect of basketball is a lot more exciting than netball and uh when we moved across my sister and i have always been grateful that we made the move <laughs> So, but in netball's <laughs> defense, in netball's defense, like high level netball, their passing ability and their anticipation skills are far superior than anything you see on a basketball court. Mm, I'm, I'm more surprised about, I guess, netball injuries in terms of um, knees and stuff and ACL mm. too, because they're stopping on a dime. Like that's, that's pretty oh, much, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. yeah. A, that uh, ankle injuries jarred fingers, um, especially knees, your ACL, MCL, LCL injuries are all prevalent just because it's that abrupt stop um, when really they are actually allowed to take that one step. But for some reason, especially not at that elite level, you'll see those kind of injuries um, more predominantly. Sure. Now, shout out to all netball players, um, basketball, sports sports. So we'll move on to the next one. <laughs> so, so you played... Um, rep juniors and seniors in North, as you mentioned, um, and, and eventually mm -hmm. you coach. Um, initially, what was the experience like coaching juniors, then uh, the youth league uh, women's under 21s? Um, well, well, my sister and I both started coaching, as I said previously, when we were about 16 at North. And 
I think what's really um, rewarding as a junior coach is seeing that skill acquisition and development, as well as the character development of your players as they age. Um, and especially um, with, say, youth league women, I think being part of um, the development of strong, independent sports women is a journey worth taking part in. And I'll always really cherish those memories. Um, unfortunately, I haven't worked with juniors for about 10 years, but I still vividly remember how rewarding it is to coach at that level. Awesome. So was volunteer coaching always something that you wanted to, to, to compete? Um, as, a, as a fellow coach, this is Lloyd's words, I know that your dedicated um, requirement was African, Africa something that you intrigue in terms of furthering your coaching career? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, um, my sister and I have a passion for history, politics and travel. And so Africa has always been a destination we wanted to go to. Um, as with all junior coaches, you volunteer your time, effort and resources when you begin your career. And so it just seemed natural, Africa, volunteering, coaching, let's do it. And so when we both finished our undergrad, undergrad degrees, we decided to do some volunteering in Africa and we worked with a not-for-profit called Beyond Sports Integrated in, in Lusaka, Zambia. And so we were using sport and coaching as a vehicle to work with young kids and adults uh, impacted by HIV AIDS and using sport as a vehicle to discuss healthy lifestyle choices um, and that was a really rewarding experience. And since I have done a lot of volunteer work with senior club teams and national teams between the periods of 2011 and 2017. So majority of the coaching I've done in Africa is on a volunteer basis. Um, and so I think if anybody's thinking of volunteering, I would highly recommend the African experience because it's very rewarding. Awesome. State Heroes uh, Play United gave you a shot at running a training session. What was the first experience like? And what were some of the things you wanted to compete, complete in that session? Um, was it getting a feel for their playing ability, their, skill, their skills, or maybe it was athleticism and understanding of the game? Okay. I first saw um, Heroes Play United um, at the opening tournament of the Men's Super League in Lusaka, Zambia in 2011. What I really liked about this team is they played really hard, had good chemistry with no like major superstars and they had a lot of potential. They didn't win the tournament or anything. They kind of were middle of the pack. And so I thought they'd be a perfect team to approach in terms of running a training session. So I ended up um, asking them if I could run the first half of their practice and that turned into me running their full practice and coming back the next day and working with them for the rest of the season. So I think um, all I remember is being really nervous. It was um, the first time I actually coached a men's team. Um, not a lot of opportunities in Australia for uh, women to work with men's teams. So um, I didn't tell them that though. <laughs> and so, um, I, it was uh, quite a successful season for us, so I'm very glad I uh, approached them to work with them. Awesome. I guess you, you pretty much have to put yourself out there if you want to achieve anything. And again, exactly. the shot, the opportunity, sure. So, national championship, um, what was the feeling like with, with winning 
um, with you as um, Play United and also the, the other club. Um, is it Matreo? Matero Magic. Matero? Matero Magic. Matero Magic. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Heroes hadn't won a championship in about eight years. And so, when we made playoffs, we were like the surprise package. We just snuck in in the fourth spot. Um, in the semifinals, we had to beat the league champions. And then in the finals, we had to defeat the national champions, oh. the defenders. So no one expected us to win anything. Yep. Was that was that a uh, one versus four matchup? Just in, yeah. Just no, so yeah, they did two versus four, one versus three, which okay. I have no idea why anybody would do that, but that's how they did it. Yep. So, um, or maybe they did wait. Paces were league champions, so they would have done one versus four, two one versus, versus three. Four. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, the top team gets the I guess the lower the lower seed team. They have most exactly. Of which you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we both the top, t the two teams in um, Zambia were uh, Matero Magic and Unza Paces. And so we met Unza in the semifinals and then Matero in the finals. Um, and I think, I think it's one of my most um, rewarding experiences as a coach is to work with that team. Um, and I, it's still one of my greatest ach achievements as a coach. Whereas then on the flip side, in I think it was 2015, I worked with Matera Magic, who Heroes had beaten in that final. And um, I was specifically brought in to coach in the playoffs. And so I didn't have that in-depth relationship that I had with my Heroes players. And therefore that coaching gig really felt like a job mm. rather than, you know, an ex uh, rather than an experience. And so when we won the championship, it was very much a tick. Yep, yep, I did my job. Yeah, it was pretty much what you had to do. That's what they hired you for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bill Jackson type of coach. Come in, get the championship. That's it. And I'm out. Get yeah, out. pretty much. <laughs> awesome. So, myself and Lloyd, I really admire your drive for seeking um, more from the top tier teams and, and approaching them yourself, as we just talked about. Yep. Um, how did you approach that team? Like Cameroon? to try to work your way into the coaching stuff? Well, um, I spent a good majority of my time coaching in zone six, uh, which is Southern Africa. Um, in 2017, I worked with the Zambian men's national team for zone six Afrobasket qualifiers. For those who don't know, Afrobasket is the premier continental title. Um, it's similar to Eurobasket. Um, and the championship of that goes on to World Cup or Olympics. Okay. before we implemented the new FIBA system. So one of my goals as a coach has always been to coach at Afrobasket. So when Zambia failed to qualify, I had to reassess and go, okay, I need to be working with the top tier teams in Africa in order to get that dream running, basically. So um, what, what I did in 2017 is I started to work on my um, analytical skills, and I decided that if I was going to approach these teams, I needed to have a unique skill set. Uh, also, a lot of the top tier teams in Africa have foreign coaches who have very li little knowledge of African basketball prior to working with national teams. So my two advantages were my experience coaching in Africa and of African basketball and my data analytics skills. So I decided to, in 20... I would say 2018, 
I went to Tunisia, uh, who was hosting one of the FIBA World Cup African qualifiers, uh, one of the groups there. And I approached a couple of the teams, um, especially those with foreign coaches, discussing my, um, my knowledge regarding African basketball, as well as providing uh, data analytic reports on their team and their opponents. So that's how I ended up working with Cameroon and I was part of their coaching staff for the second round of World Cup qualifiers. Awesome. Great story. So a couple of the uh, Cameroon players are hitting the NBA currently. Uh, did you get a chance to do any session, sessions with uh, current African players moving into the NBA or general African players on the rise? So unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to work with any of the current um, NBA players who are from Africa. Uh, with Cameroon, I had the opportunity to work with some former NBA players in Kenneth Kaji, DJ Strawberry, and former G League player Landry Noko. I think um, what's really exciting is the amount of African players that we now have in the NBA. And I expect in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a tidal wave of talent coming through the league. Uh, just get back to your coaching, I guess, experience with uh, Cameroon. Uh, did you take any drill-wise um, any drill -wise or aspects-wise from, from that experience? I think the number one thing I took out of that experience with Cameroon was um, working with high-caliber professional basketball players. As I have already stated, um, Cameroon had a number of former NBA players, G League players, who now have great careers in Europe. And so getting to work with those kind of, that caliber of player was really exciting. Learn, learning how they approach the game and how they fit into a team environment on such a short preparation period was really interesting to see. Um, and from a coaching perspective, it was um, rather challenging in the fact that the head coach had very little uh, knowledge, interest or respect African basketball so coaching wise I think what I took out out of it was um, how I would handle things differently and how I would um, not make the same mistakes not every experience is going to be a good experience and so you, you try and learn as much as you can from every every experience you get yeah definitely um, it, it's the same goes where you just you just play with the hand you're dealt like in, in a cards game so you, and you make the most of it that's, that's pretty much what exactly. I get out of that for sure so let's move on to, uh, I guess, scouting video work. How did you get into that? Um, I see that you're currently advising for the ABL African teams in, teams in Africa. Is something that mm -hmm. uh, you learned or on the go or, some, or was it someone that chose you, like mentored you for that? Um, as I previously mentioned, analytics is really an untapped and undervalued resource in African basketball. So in 2017, I kind of went out of my way to teach myself uh, the advanced stats formulas. And I have since gone on to build huge spreadsheets for each national team or club team. And so I have that data now at my fingertips. Uh, and with that data, I have been able to consult with teams who have previously played in the African Basketball League, which was run by FIBA Africa, as well as teams in the Basketball Africa League qualifiers and national teams in AfroCan uh, tournament that was in 2019. So I think what's great about that skill set is it means that I don't necessarily have to fly to work with that team. I can work with the coaches remotely 
um, and also gives me experiences working with teams outside my own. Um, so I was able to work with a Tunisian club team, a Ugandan national team, etc. So in terms of videoing, that when I came back to Australia to do my master's in coaching in 2013, um, I was able to work with a coach here, um, Rex Nottage from um, Newington Boys High School, and he introduced me to Synergy. And since then I've gone on to use Crossover and now I kind of cut my own film. And so that's, that's a skill set that I can bring to a team that I'm working with. That's awesome. Um, when you mentioned data, that's, that's pretty important that you can work with teams that are not in person, I guess, especially in the, during this pandemic. Like, um, yeah, with that, that model that you created, being a fellow nerd, uh, is that something that um, you would um, sell on to teams that are interested in your methods? Yeah, exactly. Um, it is something I've thought about. Um, unfortunately, a lot of clubs and teams, national teams in Africa, don't have huge budgets. Mm. So at the moment, I'm kind of keeping that data to myself and using it for my team's advantage. Um, I do put out a couple of um, posts on, across my social media for players to have a look at, because unfortunately, FIBA Africa, or FIBA in general, actually, doesn't provide any advanced stats. Mm. Um, with the Basketball Africa League, the NBA will step in and fill that void. Um, and eventually I would look to sell that data on to other teams. But I think that's more two or three years down the line. Yeah, I guess that's something that um, yeah, would be, be really useful if you had a, um, just a, a data entry. Like if I had a GUI, put in the analytics, and then it comes up with certain things that uh, I need to focus on this player, focus on this team, my strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And then head into a competition, you can you look at your opponents and then you can scout yeah. and, and then all those things will match up and makes you a better coach, for sure. Oh, 100%. And yeah. it, it completely influences your, your coaching strategy. I'm not saying it solely does. Yep. Obviously, scouting um, still plays a huge role. Uh, but numbers do tell a story as well. And I think in terms of, uh, especially national teams in Africa, this could be the difference between winning and losing. And so it's a huge advantage for any team that is using it. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think when I was in my, when I was playing in juniors, um, and I actually get to tape all my games. That's that's something that I do. Just look at people's habits, uh, where they want the ball, how they dribble the first time, like um, the, the, yeah. the, the team offense when things get close. Um, these things help you tremendously. Because uh, then when oh, exactly. you, when you play them, you, you know what kind of what's coming. Of course, there's always like these things that you can't control, like someone's on fire, someone can't miss a shot, yeah. but, but you're giving yourself the best opportunity to, um, to win the game. That's the, that's, exactly. That's the, that's the goal, right? Especially when you've got a team that has two or three like major players, and if you can find something to shut one or two of them down, exactly. you know, such an advantage. Yeah, as, as a basketball player, um, you, you want to be comfortable on the court. And, and, and on defense, you want to make people as uncomfortable as possible. And once exactly. you do that, it changes the whole team dynamic of the other side. And then they have to scramble um, and, and go to plan B if they have a plan B or plan C. And, and usually yeah. by that time, the game's over and you usually win. So, props exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you noticed saying that you had uh, opportun more opportunities in Africa than Australia. I uh, hear on, on so many levels, uh, it's kudos to you for it. Uh, what is uh, something you're looking for in the next one to two years, um, hoping uh, COVID doesn't delay any of these goals? My goals for the next two years include 
coaching in the Basketball Africa League and at next year's FIBA Afro Basket. Hopefully in Africa, we'll see a reduction in COVID-19 cases and we're able to launch the inaugural Basketball Africa League. Uh, this is probably gonna be a one-off tournament and then hopefully in 2021, we can launch an actual league. And then after that, um, I'm hoping to continue to coach in Africa more on a full-time basis where I can go from coaching in Basketball Africa League and then coaching at national team tournaments because after AfroBasket, we'll then go into World Cup qualifiers. So that's my two-year plan. Oh, awesome. Um, It'll be great to, um, I guess, follow you through that, through your social media for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so FIFA, FIFA is doing a great job uh, in developing um, junior level basketball and participation on all nations for basketball. Uh, did the mm -hmm. Nogo competitions or the seasons in Africa create opportunities for athletes who are looking uh, to move forward their careers in either the NBA or Europe? Uh, and do, do, do you have the interaction with the NBA and FIFA in terms of African basketball and creating an entity for those nations? With the development of the, of the Basketball Africa League by the NBA and FIBA, they are creating opportunities for African players to become professional athletes. And as a byproduct, we'll see professional coaches, um, better standard of refereeing and officiating, as well as the administration of the league itself. So in terms of opportunities for junior athletes or junior players in Africa, FIBA and the NBA, by providing this league, are providing a pathway for these junior athletes to um, become senior professional players. Um, so you'll see kids at, who are playing in local clubs, NBA academies, basketball without, um, basketball without border programs, Giants of Africa camps. These kids now have a league that they can aspire to play in because obviously not everybody's going to be an NBA player or go and play in top tier leagues in Europe. So eventually, I think long term, the, the goal of this league is to rival EuroLeague and the NBA. But in the meantime, it's going to offer an, av a, an avenue for junior African players, as well as senior players who are currently playing at clubs right now, to play in a professional league. And that's an exciting thing for everybody in Africa. In terms of um, working with FIBA and the NBA, I don't work with either of those uh, organisations. Uh, I'm completely independent, um, but I do try my best to provide as much information and data around their their tournaments and events so that we can promote African basketball on a more global stage. Sure, great. Uh, we're, we're moving on to, I guess, a couple of the um, uh, shooters roll questions that um, are yep. yeah, quite interesting and a bit more lighter. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> so uh, if, if, if there was one person, uh, dead or alive, um, you could ask one question to, who would, who would that be and what would be the question? Mine's going to be really left field. Um, I'm a bit of a history buff, so here's a warning. Um, mine would be the Empress Matilda, who was the Lady of the English. Uh, she would have been the first Queen of England back in 1135, um, but her throne was usurped by her male cousin. She continued to fight for her throne for the next 10 to 15 years until her son claimed the throne. And I think the question I would ask her is, during her battle for the throne, how did she, uh, what drove her and what motivated her 
to fight for something that was hers in a completely male-dominated society. Was that uh, subtext to um, your coaching? Oh, <laughs> you didn't have to answer that question. I, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, look, and, and because that's 11.35 and we're still having to fight for female rights in okay. 2020, in 2020. So that really what's obviously a lot of things have changed, but really that female struggle against male um, patriarchy is still going on. Yeah, fighting the fight for sure. So the next question was, um, what would um, the name, what would you name a boat if you had one? If you had the, you had the whole one. <laughs> well, carrying on from my previous answer, <laughs> um, I would probably call my boat the Queen. Um, Purely because my sister and I were named after the Queens of England, Elizabeth and Victoria. Sure. It's part of your name. That's, that's a great name for a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one was, is, um, what is the most useless talent you have? Oh, gosh, several. Um, I would say probably um, when I was growing up, I learned the flute and then the tenor saxophone. I've since had braces, so I can't really play either, but I'm sure they're both terrible and still very much useless talent. <laughs> sure. All right, so we've come to, I guess, the end. The last question is, nominate a person uh, we should interview on the shoot as well, um, I guess, and, and, and hook us up with, with, with uh, whoever you nominate to uh, allow us to contact them. Okay. Um, I'm going to nominate Emmanuel Malou. Um, yep. Year. He played for the South Sudanese national team at pre-qualifiers for next year's Afrobasket. Um, I've always been really impressed with how he carries himself on the court and I've gotten to know him a little bit off the court. He's an impressive young man and I highly recommend um, doing an interview with him. I'd love to see him back on the continent with the South Sudanese national team and potentially playing in the Basketball Africa League. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'll hit them up for sure. And, and um, yeah, if you can introduce us, it'd be great. So we're pretty much all done. Uh, did you have any, um, I guess, uh, general advice for, I guess, up-and-coming basketballers um, looking to play college and, and looking to go into professional in, in their careers? I think um, I, I'm going to keep the focus on Africa. And I think there's a lot of avenues that Australian players, as well as African-Australian players, especially from the South Sudanese community, can look to be playing in, be that for their national teams or the Basketball Africa League. South Sudan had a club team competing in qualifiers for the BAL last year. So I would say the equivalent standard would be NBL1 um, with some of the top BAL teams probably dominating NBL1. Um, therefore, I would really like to see more Australian players look to Africa as a league that they can play in and thrive in. I can guarantee there'll be a lot more exposure for them playing in the BAL than there would be playing in the Big V, ABA, or even NBL1. And exposure means that they have the opportunity for a scout to see them, and you don't know what league you can jump to from that. Yeah, so it's about um, being, being in the right place at the right time and being exposure. Exactly, 100%. Definitely. I'm Coach Mills, thank you for being on the channel. Um, yeah, we appreciate uh, you, you spending the time. Of course, we're, we're volunteers, uh, as yourself, uh, volunteering to be on the show. Uh, we're just trying to um, promote basketball.
uh, I guess in Australia mainly and uh, around the world. So thanks for, thanks for that. Well, thanks T for having me. I love what you guys are doing. Keep up the great work. Cool. Thank you.